Well, welcome everyone to this video podcast from the Empire Center for Public Policy. I'm E.J. McMahon, a senior research fellow here at the Empire Center. The topic of our video podcast is New York's COVID-19 nursing home toll. Did state policy make it worse? And to help us uh, explore and answer that question, I have with me today our uh, health policy director, Bill Hammond. Who hey, Jay. Hi, Bill. Bill's been following this issue closely, uh, has been writing about it, uh, uh, as we all have since the end of February. I guess to frame this issue to begin with, Bill, we probably should just look at the overall scope of the coronavirus, the novel coronavirus in New York. Uh, how bad was it here in New York? How severe were the numbers? If you could revisit them quickly in terms of how many, how, how many people were affected and where and, and uh, what was- We had, I mean, we had without a doubt, one of the worst coronavirus outbreaks anywhere in the US and, and probably anywhere in the world. Uh, we had uh, hundreds of thousands of cases um, something uh, probably well over a million cases, and we've had something on the order of 30,000 deaths, including um, a disputed number of people in nursing homes, at least 6,000 in nursing homes, and, and probably much more than that. Out of those um, 30, and, out of 30, roughly 30,000 deaths, did you say? Well, I mean, there's different ways of counting, and and uh, and all of the official counts are widely considered to be too low because they focus on people who died that, that the official world knew about. So they died in hospitals or they died in nursing homes. There's, there's this reservoir of people who died at home that were never officially registered. Uh, it's, it's, it's certainly tens of thousands. And again, we, we had uh, by far more deaths than any other state, even when you adjust for population. And we rank among some of the one of the hardest places in the world. And this peak was this mounts and gets to a peak when in, in April, Bill. And we're talking now the second week. Yeah, of July. It, it peaked. It peaked in early April. The the deaths peaked in early April, which means that the infections peaked in sometime in mid to late March. Okay, and and I I made it to remind myself of this because it it came upon us so quickly. I think we're all struck. It wasn't really that long ago that that no this was not even a glimmer in anyone's eye. That really began almost exactly at the beginning of the year. I went and double checked some dates, and uh, it was on January first, on New Year's Day, that Chinese authorities closed that fish market in Wuhan that they had blamed or claimed was the uh, origin of this mysterious, then mysterious pneumonia-like virus that had this especially high uh, fatality rate. And then through January, with almost each passing day, certainly each passing week, we're hearing more and more out of China from, and from Wuhan in particular about this mysterious deadly disease. The Chinese are now locking people in their homes and building emergency hospitals. Uh, by the end of the month- that was, that was when I first really started paying attention was when the, there was that video of the cranes right. going in circles. Right, yeah. right. It, so they, and this, this, so this, this kind of weird thing is going on in China. By the end of January, they have a full-blown, they're acknowledging a full-blown emergency, the famous situation that becomes known or claimed later of welding doors shut on people's houses so they don't leave. Um, very soon thereafter, it has spread to Europe, 
to particular hotspots, particularly in northern Italy, we begin to see chilling photos of, uh, of uh, crowded hospitals and coffins stacked up in, in warehouses, and uh, it's becoming pretty scary. Uh, we go through February, it's getting more and more of a concern. In fact, I noted that the New York State Health Department put up its first coronavirus information page in early February on online. I, I would not say I looked at it at the time. March 1st, the first uh, uh, announced coronavirus case in New York which is a woman who had flown into Kennedy Airport from Gutter a week or so earlier. On March 2nd, Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio have a joint appearance to basically reassure New Yorkers not to worry too much about this. I think it was the governor, I have a quote, says, we don't think it will be as bad, unquote, as you've been hearing about elsewhere. Very, very quickly, within days, that proves to be uh, overly optimistic. In fact, the governor on March 3rd, the next day, issues his first key emergency management authorization, and things begin to just, the events begin to spin rather rapidly. Uh, he declares a state of emergency in New York on March 7th. On March 10th, he announces the, the now almost forgotten, I guess, but then the, the big deal, New, New Rochelle containment zone, because an attorney in New Rochelle had turned up with a very serious case, a middle-aged man, um, of the disease and was found to have been in places where he may have infected hundreds of people. I think in retrospect, in fact, he did. And uh, New Rochelle is, uh, this is, the state announces an attempt to cut New Rochelle off from the rest of the world to stop the spread, which doesn't really work. Um, by March 14th, we have the first death in New York from the novel coronavirus. March 16th, school closed. Schools are closed. By then, University students studying overseas have been called back and colleges are beginning to shut down and, send, and switch to distance learning and send students home. On March 20th, the governor issues his New York on pause order, which says that effective two days later, 100% of so-called non-essential businesses and all gatherings considered of any size considered non-essential are, are hereby prohibited and closed. So that's the beginning of the long shutdown. Then a little bit less than a week after that comes, a, a, there's a flurry of orders and directives from the governor setting up emergency hospitals, for instance, within this period, the governor identifies four sites, including the Javits Center as places that will become emergency overflow hospital wards. Early in this process, there's talk about the federal hospital ship, you may recall being sent up to dock in the Hudson River. On March 25th, amid all these other orders, there's a particular order issued from the Department of Health, which figures, hence now figures prominently in the debate as we're here in early July over what happened uh, with patients in nursing homes. So Bill, maybe you can explain starting from that point, what, what was it the state said or ordered on March 25th and how does that relate to the discussion we're having now? Well, if you remember, uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to forget, but the, uh, during those daily briefings by the governor, his number one concern, and you might even call it a panic, was this coming wave of patients. And he had projections indicating that it was going to crest at 100,000 people needing hospital care at one time. Right. Um, and the, the state has roughly 50,000 hospital beds total. And right. those beds are spread throughout the state. 
the virus was concentrated in New York City, it really looked like the system was going to be completely crashed and overwhelmed. We saw and those was, scenes from the city of like the, this incredible scenes from Elmhurst Hospital, I think it was. With, with those this, hadn't yet happened. Those hadn't it, yet happened. They hadn't yet happened. Okay. Uh, I don't believe, I don't believe that, uh, but they, they, they foresaw that that right. kind of thing was coming. And, right. and so they were, they were moving uh, a bit desperately and as quickly as they could to find uh, overflow capacity. That's why the Navy ship came. They, uh, they, were, they were taking dorms from SUNY and converting them to hospitals. They, they got the Army Corps of Engineers, built a temporary hospital in the Javits Center. So they were trying to clear as many hospital beds in any possible way that they could. And so this order, um, when it first came to my attention, I saw it in that context, and I believe that's the correct context. What it said was that nursing homes could not turn away a patient being um, discharged from a hospital um, solely because that patient was coronavirus positive. And in fact, they said, you can't even wait for a test to confirm either way, what the, whether the patient is positive or not. As soon as a patient is ready for discharge, you need to be willing to take it off that hospital's hands. And you um, said the qualify, just make sure I didn't quite hear that you can't, you can't use waiting for a test as a justification. You must correct. Like it, I, I, I mean, reading between the lines of it, I assume that there were nursing homes that were turning patients away, and I further assume that there were some um, hospital uh, nursing homes that weren't turning them away, but they said, before we'll accept them, we need a test result, so we know. And they, the, the Cuomo administration's position was, no, we can't afford to wait. We need, these patients need to get out as soon as they're stable. Okay. And he has, he has since said, and I think this is probably his best explanation, he doesn't always give it. He has since said that, he's pointed out correctly, that when nursing home, when when a patient recovers from coronavirus, they continue testing positive for as many for days and sometimes for weeks. They're no longer in jeopardy of dying, but they still have virus in their system that that triggers the test. Right. In his view, it did not make sense to have an otherwise stable patient sitting in a hospital bed when there were potentially going to be thousands of people in need of that hospital bed. So that was the motivation for the order. So um, that order occurs. Now let's, let's start. That happens. And then a few weeks later, I didn't double check, but maybe in late April, um, perhaps early May, stories begin appearing. I think it began in the New York Post. There were news stories focusing on the number, the number of deaths in nursing homes or among nursing home payments, patients and the spread in nursing homes. And there begins to be uh, suggestions and then outright accusations that this was caused by the order and that, that the, the nursing home, or, that the order, and the order came from the health department, right? It didn't come from the governor personally. Yeah, it wasn't technically from the governor. It was from, it was an advisory. It was an advisory. It wasn't even called an order, although it was pretty strongly worded. Okay. I mean, and, and then it kind know, of... I, I, it famously disappeared from their website or something, right? Was that uh, yeah, that came not? after some of the press coverage. Yeah. Okay. So there's press coverage that begins <clears throat> to suggest, and then more, more than suggest, 
that, hey, wait a minute, um, there's like a disproportionate share of deaths in nursing homes. We know that elderly people are, set, are particularly at risk, the governor himself had acknowledged that, and now there seems to be a real, a real fire raging in nursing homes, which leads people, including people, I guess, not unfair to say, with partisan motivations to say, this is the state's fault, you made a mistake. And then every yeah, it, was, it, was, it was part of our, we were, I mean, I think it's fair to say everybody was learning about this virus at the same right. time. Um, and we were learning that it didn't affect all people equally. It's, I mean, scientists were really astonished that children in particular don't seem to get this. Right. That's unusual for viruses like this. And it's a really, really hard on the elderly, which is not so unusual and was kind of predictable, actually. Um, and so it started to emerge that, you know, the, the governor was giving us the daily death counts and it started to emerge that a, disproport a, a grossly disproportionate share of those daily death counts were in fact nursing home patients. Reporters started, you know, asking for details about you know, how many were nursing home patients, which homes did they come from? The state started trickling out that information. And actually the March 25th order was reported on March 26th. It, it, okay. it was the Wall Street Journal had a story about it that very day. Oh, okay. And that, um, I, I recall the- and, and I think there was, there was some inkling, even in that very early stage, there were nursing home officials who were a little bit alarmed about it because okay. I, they anticipated that this virus was going to be a problem for them. And I wouldn't say all nursing home officials, they've, they've had kind of a mixed reaction, but there were certainly some officials who didn't like it. And they called, you know, somebody called the wall street journal about it. So, um, as time went on and the toll in nursing homes mounted and, and really did become, it was front and center as, a major fraction of deaths was happening in nursing homes, way out of proportion to how many people live in nursing homes. It seemed like something bad was happening in the nursing homes and people circled back to that March 25th advisory and said, could this have been like right. the, you know, the, the beginning of the end for nursing homes. And then, and then, and, and then it became a political football. Right. And, it becomes and, very early on. It may even have been not that long after the Wall Street story, Journal story you mentioned. As I recall, the governors had, they all, they all blur together, but the governor's having these daily briefings and news conferences with charts and talking about bending the curve, et cetera, as the toll gets worse. It, I think it may have been fairly soon after the Wall Street Journal story, a reporter asks about, what about this directive and could, and, uh, uh, about uh, the nurse, affecting nursing homes? And as I recall, the governor at that point turns to the health commissioner and says, I don't know, and then turns to him and has him explain what it is, whether he knew, really knew anything or not. He deflects the question. Then the question pops up again in ensuing weeks as the toll gets worse. And, and fair to, it's not unfair to say the governor gets very defensive about the whole Well, his, 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 his explanations evolved over time. Oh, right. Um, there's one uh, quote pretty early on where somebody said, shouldn't nursing homes have the option of, of doing what they, you know, and his answer was they have no right to object. I mean, I think that was the right. exact quote. Right. Um, he was definitely at that point, he was kind of emphasizing they have a duty to take these patients. Right. Right. Later he said, 
Well, they have a duty to take the patients, but they also have a duty not to take patients they can't handle. Um, later, he said, well, this was, uh, we were simply following federal guidance. Right. So yes. yeah. his, his, his explanations evolved and weren't necessarily consistent from, from week right. to week. Um, then, and then ultimately, his, his answer basically came down to, you know, whoever's asking these questions is just carrying water for my political enemies, and I'm not going to dignify that. You know, like it was uh, – now, at the same time, he, um, as you mentioned, he, he removed the advisory from the web. Right. Um, which was very strange. And right. then I think in early May – he uh, sometimes people say he rescinded the order. Actually, what he did was he issued a separate order directed at hospitals telling them you may not discharge a patient into a hospital until they are coronavirus negative right. or into a nursing home until they are coronavirus negative, which ended up creating a backlog in hospitals because it does take right. um, uh, days and weeks for patients to test negative. So suffice to say, the questions have persisted. Um, and then ultimately, um, there's a, a report is released this past week on July 6th, uh, this past Monday as we speak now, by the Department of Health. The Department of Health uh, examines this issue and issues a report entitled Factors Associated with Nursing Home Infections and Fatalities in New York State During the COVID-19 Global Health Crisis. Very long title. And it has a lot of details in it. And if you come to this issue fresh, it, it has some thought provoking, it makes some key points that are, that are thought provoking and backed by data. And I'll summarize them now, and maybe you can give, an, give us an idea of how to think about this. There's five bullet points near the top that are the key points that this report's trying to make. And they basically say, okay, we looked at this, and here's what we found. They basically link the, um, high number of infections in nursing home to infections among nursing home staff. And they make these points. The timing of staff infections, staff FF, not staff infections, correlates with the timing of peak nursing home res <coughs> resident mortality across the state. That nursing home employee infections were related to the most impacted regions in the state, meaning the regions with the highest uh, number of COVID-19 infections. Peak nursing home admissions occurred a week after peak nursing home mortality, therefore illustrating that nursing home admissions from hospitals were not a driver of nursing home infections or fatalities, and they have numbers to back that up. Most patients admitted to nursing homes from hospitals were no longer contagious when admitted, and therefore were not a source of infection. And they have numbers backing that up, and nursing home quality was not a factor in nursing home fatalities. And there's numbers associated with all of those points. Let's, could you kind of help, help us uh, uh, walk through those in detail? And um, are those compelling points to, uh, that, that uh, definitively uh, wave aside any concerns about this or, or, or not? Uh, I found the, first of all, I've thought from the beginning that the March 25th order was not uh, and I and I'd heard from nursing home officials that it was not the primary cause of coronavirus in nursing homes. The coronavirus had already been in nursing homes by the time that March 25th order was issued. It came in. I mean, my understanding was that it 
you know, the virus is everywhere in the community. It turns out it was much more widespread than we realized at a much earlier date. Um, and so inevitably a certain number of staff and family visitors brought it in with them. And then once it got into the homes, it spread like crazy. Um, so I find the, the basic point of this report, I find convincing, which is the March 25th order, the, the major cause of coronavirus in nursing homes was community spread in effect. Right. They, can, they can document it in the staff. They don't have data on family and visitors. And so by the time the March 25th order came out, the virus was already there in, in most homes, if not all homes. So that part of it, I don't dispute where I do differ with them is when they sort of definitively say that the March 25th order was not a significant factor, right. which I don't think they, I don't think they demonstrate it. And also what does that even mean? What does significant right. factor mean? Does it mean it, it wasn't, you know, does that mean it caused zero deaths or does it mean it caused 1% of deaths or five or 10%? Like what, what, what would they consider to be a well, significant inter to interject for a moment the implication clearly is we've looked at this and uh we've looked at these data we come up with these findings <clears throat> and the clear implication is we did nothing wrong this could not possibly have been avoided and no policy that we implemented or followed had anything to do with this that seems to be yeah their i mean it was the, the the title of the report sounded like it could be in an academic journal right and the 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 the, the, the look of the report right. and it has charts and has tables and it has yeah. footnotes it it has some of the um the outward appearance of an academic journal uh article but when you read it closely, it doesn't have the academic discipline of acknowledging what they know and don't know, acknowledging alternative interpretations of the evidence, you know, um, the, the uncertainty about what things mean. They, they leap to these conclusions. And I, that part of it struck me as, as very political. It struck me as they wanted to uh, eliminate this um, line of attack on the Cuomo administration and on the governor personally. Right. So I wanted to show you, it's based, their central logic has to do with the timing of when different things happened. Right. Um, so this is a chart taken right out of the report. Right. And it shows the dark line is, it reflects staff who reported flu-like symptoms, COVID-like symptoms in nursing homes. And you can see it started low in late February and peaked on March 16th and then tailed off. Right, and if you're not- That's it, listen, now that's- Just a, for people who are just listening to this and not looking on video, it's there's this very sharp, this line that peaks there's a chart that goes from uh, February 25th all the way out to March to June 16th, and and really early in this chart, there's this there's this huge sharp peak, which is staff reporting symptoms, as you said. So. And that's that is new information. It hasn't previously been made public. It's based on data that the nursing homes collected and reported to the state. They right. collected it. They reported the state retrospectively. I I, I it, it was not being. 
um, shared with the state as it happened. Right. Um, so uh, to some extent, it's kind of a reconstruction of, right. of what happened. Yeah. And so I, I think there's reason to be a little bit skeptical of, of how accurate it is. But, um, and, and also I find it surprising how early it peaked. It peaked in March 16th. As you mentioned before, the first death, we, we, like, we were just learning that the virus was in New York um, around that time. Right. Um, in retrospect, it was peaking. Uh, in nursing homes, and then a few weeks later, it was peaking. I, I, I believe it was peaking in the population. Um, it, it didn't feel like that. It felt like it was growing in right. late March and early April. Right. Um, I think when, when all is said and done, when we look back on this, we're going to realize, no, actually, it was already declining by you know, mid-April. Um, so the next, the, the next data point they have on this chart is the, the curve of deaths in nursing homes. It's the dotted line. Right. And it rises very sharply in late March and comes to a peak on uh, April 8th and then tails off with some sub peaks after April 8th. And they, so they mark that the, the difference between those two peaks, the peak of staff infections and the peak of deaths is 23 days. Right. And then they cite some research from other sources that says the typical time from infection to death among patients who die is between 18 and 25 days. And so that's kind of their QED moment. They say, look, uh, 23 days is consistent with that. We believe the peak of deaths is, is correlates with the peak of staph infections. There's a lot of assumptions built into that. Right. Um, and the, some of the data, like, so one of my big complaints about this analysis is that that dotted line the, the line that supposedly is tracking patient deaths or resident deaths in nursing homes is a partial count. The, the state very early got into the habit of when it asked nursing homes to report deaths, it instructed them, do not report deaths that happen outside of your facility. So if a patient gets critically ill, and they are transferred to a hospital and they die in the hospital, that does not count in the state's um, official mortality toll for nursing homes. That's a large share. That it's, it, it might be something like 40% of patients are moved to hospitals before they you know, officially pass away. So that dotted line is showing a fraction of the actual deaths, which means it may or may not the, the 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 peak may or may not be on April 8th. If you included hospital patients, the peak might be on April 1st or it might be on April 15th. And I feel like that is a real a disservice for the state health department, which I'm sure knows the full count of nursing home patients and could have used it and could have used that to, 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 to test this theory of theirs. Um, but they've been really uh, resistant to sharing that information. I think because it, it would make the state look so much, the toll would look that much grimmer and the state's comparison uh, to other states in this area would look that much worse. So the next step of their argument 
um, relates to when the uh, the March 25th order took effect and patients started trip, trickling in from hospitals to nursing homes who were coronavirus positive. So the, the dark line on this chart, oops, the dark line on this chart is the, is, is the same line we saw before of patient deaths peaking on April 8th. And then underneath that, the bars show patients arriving from hospitals who are coronavirus positive. And in this case, that number kind of slowly creeps up and peaks at about 299 on April 14th. And so here's their second QED moment. Um, the admissions couldn't possibly be a factor in deaths because they peaked after the deaths peaked. Right. I mean, again, they're going much too far with that conclusion. You'll notice that deaths continue up until this day, right? Yeah. They haven't stopped. And so I don't know what reason there is to believe that those some of those patients coming back from hospitals could have triggered infections in the nursing homes when they arrived. That infection could have spread. It could have reached other frail patients, and those patients could have died. I think that uh, I don't see any reason not to assume that that happened just because just because the worst had already passed um, when the patients were arriving doesn't mean that they didn't prolong the agony. I mean, that's always been my assumption is that this policy was not the sole cause of coronavirus, but that it made a bad situation worse. Right. Um, <clears throat> so th there, there, are a there are a few other flaws. I mean, I suppose we could go into um, in their logic. I mean, so you mentioned before that the um, one of their points was that the patients couldn't have been infectious because they had, the logic there is that the median time in hospital for these patients was nine days. Right. The, the research shows that you stop being infectious nine days or 10 days after showing symptoms. So logically, they were showing symptoms, they went to the hospital, they spent nine days there. At that point, they're no longer highly contagious. But as they say, the median time in the hospitals was nine days. That means half the patients were there less than nine days and half were there longer than nine days. Some of those patients were coming back when they were still infectious. Um, another point they make is that um, they, they can document an infected patient in 81% of the homes that were before any discharged patients were arriving. Well, again, that means that 20% of the homes, there was no documented cases until that patient oh. arrived. So I, like, like I say, I think the thrust of this report, which is that the March 25th order wasn't, the, wasn't quite the pivotal moment it's made out to be. I think that's a fair point. But then they kind of over-argue it and they try to make it seem like it was a nothing and it, it wasn't a nothing. Well, and if, if, there, if these people were, if nursing home patients were dying, I mean, the, 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 I'm wondering, it seems to me I've seen a chart somewhere, and I, maybe it was one of the ones you just flashed about 
vacant, but what was the population of the nursing homes looking like during the war? Oh, okay. That's they have a thousand people a day dying at one point. This um, is a this is a chart that I made. Uh, right. So right. oh that's the one I meant, yes. So you have a chart here just to, to describe it. This chart begins January 18th and goes to June 20th, just past June. January, January 2018. Okay, January 2018, this, pardon me, to, to June of 2020, and is the vacancy rate in nursing homes. And all the way up and through into March 2020, it's very steady at looks like between 7 and 8% or roughly. Yeah, and in fact, if you take this back 10 years, yeah. Um, to which is as far as the database goes, um, it uh, rarely, if ever, goes lower than five or higher than ten. And what's uh, the total? so it's it's a remarkably steady. Uh, we have about a hundred thousand patients in nursing okay. homes. That was my. Name. And we apparently have about eight percent of beds empty at any time. And you, I mean, let's 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 be real. Nursing homes are full of very frail, elderly, and right. sickly patients. They die all the time. Right. And so that 8% vacancy rate being steady reflects a certain number of patients dying, but then a certain number of patients checking in um, right. on, on a pretty, they're in equilibrium. Right. And it also um, reflects the imperative for nursing homes, whether they're for-profit or non-profit, when patients, as 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 inevitably, when when a certain segment of your patients are dying, you want to fill the, refill those beds as soon as possible because patients are revenue. So yes, yes. so there's a it's it's not it's really steady that chart and not remarkably so all things considered up until a little uh, late March early late April March of this and early and April then, year and then it shoots way up. It skyrockets. It's up around 22% now. So it goes from 8 to 22 in the space of a few weeks. And again, it's never been in the history of this data that I've seen going back 10 years, it's never been more than 9%. Right. So now this is a little bit of a, a backhanded way of getting at this number. But if you've, if you've increased by 13 points, the number of vacant beds, that translates to 13,000 patients who aren't there, who would normally be there, who are not there. What happened to the them? State, <laughs> the, state's the state's official count of fatalities, which as we said before is an undercount, is about 6,300. So, that, so that's a little bit less than half of the, the missing number of patients. Right. Now, I wouldn't say that the other half is all um, fatalities, right. corona, uh, coronavirus fatalities. To another phenomenon that's been going on is that hospitals more or less shut down, except for dealing with coronavirus and other emergencies. They stopped doing a lot of, of what's called elective procedures. They st and, and also patients were just afraid to go to the doctor. Right. So medical practice in general slowed down hospital uh, hospitals had you know were laying people off right that's where a lot of nursing home patients come from somebody has just had surgery or they've just right. had a stroke or a heart attack and when they're done they need to go to a nursing home so nursing homes were getting fewer admissions right admissions there's a, really a mix of factors so there's there's so, so like there's basically 
you know that that some of that is fatalities and some number of that is fatalities. Another number are people who are not going to hospitals and having procedures that then require so-called rehab in nursing homes. So the, all of those things are factors. But I guess- Yeah, I mean, I've, I've since seen, actually, I've since seen a study of, of nursing homes in New York City. And one of the data points they looked at was admissions. And admissions did plunge. And then after the governor's March 25th order or the, the state's March 25th order, they went back up to normal. So actually I think admissions were not like, admissions weren't down that much overall. I mean, my hypothesis has to be that most of those additional, you know, most of that 13,000 is gonna turn out to be um, coronavirus casualties. Um, so that just gives you a sense of how um, how just uh, uh, really tragic and and horrific the situation was that we're talking about somewhere between six and thirteen percent of all the patients in nursing homes passed away from this one disease in the space of a couple of months. So there's this. So the health department, which obviously reports to and works for the governor, <clears throat> compiles a thirty odd page report. The upshot, the, 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 the gist of which is nothing, there was no state, state policy was not responsible for this, that this was the uh, infections among nursing home staff and not a result of the, of the directive that uh, nursing homes have to accept uh, patients, COVID positive patients from hospitals. Uh, or so this is, this knowing, is actually- Not knowing this, whether this, they're COVID positive patients. You're getting to one of the big shortcomings of this report which is it, it focused on shooting down one cause, the March 25th order, and positing an alternative cause, staff and visitors, without asking the obvious next question, which is, would you do the March 25th order again? Like, has it been exonerated to the point that you think it was a good idea and if the pandemic comes back or if a new virus comes at us, will we repeat that order? Or do we recognize that it was a mistake and therefore rule out ever doing it again? That's not even explored in this report. And that, 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 I mean, leads that, to my, that leads to my summary question for this whole conversation, which is have, what, what, have, what have we learned from this and what do we still have to learn and how are we ever going to learn it? In other words, this has been this, obviously, an experience that we've never gone through before. There's a whole lot of questions to be asked, for instance, about the state's own pandemic planning before this, about different aspects of what the decisions the state made. The governor's official position is that, that no mistake was made that, that reflects in any way negatively, nothing, nothing wrong was done or no mistakes were made by the state of New York through policies he implemented or his departments implemented during this period, that to the extent that anything, any policies were mishandled or went in the wrong direction or made things worse, if, if that happened, it was the federal government's fault. There's this report pretty clearly designed to exonerate the health department through its direct, from its directive from having any role in this. Okay. And that in part, that reflects largely, I think your own writing on this says that this is this has become very politicized. The governor's reacted to it in a highly political way. Uh, it's part of a big political uh, uh, crossfire. 
but what do we actually know and, and what, what is it we still need to know and how are we gonna learn it if, if what we can expect from the health department, unsurprisingly, are reports designed to exonerate the Cuomo administration from any, any shred of fault or blame in, in, its, in its own policies. Well, so one, another, another thing that we need to know that this report actually highlights and then sort of ignores is if the cause of all of those deaths was staff and visitors bringing it in, how did we let that happen? And what can we, right. what can we do to prevent it next time? Now they do, they do, they, they, again, in the mode of being defensive, they point out, well, nobody really understood this virus. We had no idea how widespread it was at the time. The CDC didn't have good testing. Um, and those are, those are all valid things to bring up. But um, nursing homes are full of super vulnerable patients. They deal with infectious disease all the time. I mean, every winter they're hit with the flu and they have to protect their patients from the flu. As a matter of routine, they should be taking certain precautions to control infections. And if they had been taking those precautions, it seems like they would have helped protect the patients against coronavirus. Now, I mean, so this is this is 2020 hindsight to some extent. I don't I don't mean to like necessarily blame the nursing homes or the state for this failure. I mean, there probably is a certain amount of blame there. The point I'm trying to make is we need to understand what about our routine practices was inadequate that, that left us so vulnerable to that outbreak in nursing homes and, and led to literally thousands of people dying prematurely. Um, and as you and and as you say, I kind of despair at this point in the political fray and the way things have evolved. Our health department has just shown that when it does analyze the facts, it's going to do so in a way that's unduly focused on protecting its own reputation and protecting the governor's reputation and ignoring stuff that's related to the public health, ignoring, you know, downplaying what I think in retrospect is clearly a mistake, which was that March 25th order, and, and not addressing the infection control issue that they themselves have just highlighted. They're not proposing any changes in policy to address that. My theory and my proposal is that the only way we're going to get a serious, um, fact-based, depoliticized analysis is if we take the process out of government and we, you know, New York State has a lot of super smart, qualified scientists and analysts and policy uh, wonks such as ourselves, if I do say so. Um, and so my, my idea, and it would be a little bit outside the box, is that private experts from schools and think tanks and foundations should get together and investigate it, keeping, you know, accepting input and evidence from 
official sources, but keeping them at arm's length to keep the politics out of it. Well, wait a minute now. I, I read the news coverage of this, and I, I'll admit I haven't followed every single word of this before and since, but I keep seeing the, word, the phrase peer-reviewed used in connection with, I didn't, I looked in the report for peer review, and I didn't actually see it in the report, but I've seen that phrase used with it, and I don't, where did that come from? One of the governor's advisors used that phrase in defense of the report. The report, you know, people were taking, raising questions about the report. And he said, no, this is peer review. Um, what he was referring to is that um, when the commission, well, when the report came out, they received supportive comments uh, and comments that were sort of specifically endorsed the findings and the methodologies of the report right. from um, a number of high-ranking hospital executives, some of whom are MDs, right. and other knowledgeable people within the industry. Um, first of all, those people all have a vested interest, um, not just in the outcome of the report and not just in being sort of vindicated from blame by the report, but also in staying in the, in the governor's good graces. They, they, you know, they are dependent on state funding. They are regulated by the state. Right. Um, the, the, the health department and the governor's office are capable of making their lives miserable. Um, and it's just, it's just the way the culture of Albany is that when the governor asks you to make a supportive comment, you do it or, or you, you risk paying a price. Um, so, so the peers were a peer review is a term of uh, peer uh, review is a is a term of art in academic literature is somebody a group of researchers draft a journal article they submit it to the journal and the journal's editors go out and find independent experts experts who don't have a direct relationship with the authors and don't have a vested interest. I mean, it's not always a perfect process and sometimes you find, you know, there, there are conflicts of interest, but they try to find fair-minded impartial reviewers to read the article and comment on its methodology and raise questions. So, the so there's like this, there's a distance between the peer reviewers and the, that, that's not what happened here. This was not a rigorous, um, academic peer review. It was getting friendly quotes from... Right. So we, we got quotes for the press release from people in an industry we regulate and fund, basically, who exactly. are competent. I mean, they're professionally respectable, but they, but they work in an industry one of, one that of, regulates and fund. One of, the peers, one of the peers was Ken Rasky, who is oh, well. he's head of the Greater New York Hospital Association. I think he's, we've heard of him. He's one of his major roles is that he is a lobbyist for the hospital industry in Albany. He's, he's a, he's a close ally of the governor's. He travels with the governor on, on trips to Puerto Rico. Um, his, uh, another one is Michael Dowling who um, came up in the, in the business as an advisor to Mario Cuomo and remains close to Andrew. Cuomo. He's, an, so these are not, he's the chief executive of the largest or one of the largest uh, hospital and healthcare groups in the state. Is he not? These are these are very qualified and you right. know capable individuals. I don't mean to dismiss their their right. intelligence, and and, I, and I'll even take for granted that what they said about this report was in good faith, but it's not it's not peer review. Right. Well, and part of the report also, by the way, has to do with 
whether hospitals, which they work in, should or should not have been able to release patients to nursing. I mean, that is actually yeah. just the issue. Um, well, I guess we could talk about this, obviously, for a lot longer time, but it's a, it's an un, it's, it isn't over. It's going to continue unfolding. Um, the bottom line is we have this report that the administration put out about its own about the effect of its own policies that which unsurprisingly i guess found out that the the administration must be held suggests the administration is blameless in in any upsurge of nursing home fatalities much more to come um we're early in the history of this whole issue but I know I want to remind listeners and, and people watching this that your work, Bill, including your, your analysis of this report, can be found at empirecenter.org. Uh, the best place to find our work on the coronavirus issues in particular is in a, a segment of our website. It's very prominent called Coronavirus Chronicles, where a lot of your work and my work and the work of others on, on, on uh, impacts of the, the uh, healthcare and economic and fiscal impacts of this crisis um, where we kind of uh, uh, analyze and express uh, our views on that. And so um, for now, I think I say thank you very much, Bill. There's a lot more to learn and watch on this. I know Bill will be watching it, and we invite you to join us in following it. And, and for now, thank you very much for, for listening and watching. It's been a pleasure.